Today, for uh, some of you, it's uh, the last full day of your retreat. Um, we're sorry to say that we can't kidnap you and keep you here. Uh, so <laughs> Debbie, you're going, and Malita. Everyone else here? Mm-hmm. We'll do it in a few days. And then uh, Judy will be joining us. Judy's a long-time supporter of Dhammagiri and practitioner has done many of these longer retreats, so she'll be coming up from Cape Town to join us in a couple of days. So transition, endless transitions. <laughs> it's been a, a, a profound week with the, uh, the death of Kirisawa's father. And uh, that being, in a way, quite a big part of our retreat for us, <coughs> anyhow, and for all of us reflecting, <coughs> reflecting on uh, on death and the loss of loved ones, and bringing that into our Dharma reflection. Um, and uh, you know, the transition of leaving retreat and feeling the impact of that also for those staying is, a, is another kind of very, very mini shift, a sort of mini death, um, and the reconfiguration of the group. So these energetic shifts uh, that we, uh, that, they're all part of our Dharma practice. And we'd like to try and, um, for those particularly leaving, to have the sense that as you leave, there's a, some kind of completion uh, for your for your practice, and so that uh, you feel not too many loose ends. Um, so today, a few things will happen that are slightly different from our usual s- schedule, and and the emphasis also on the teachings. We, we're shifting a little bit more today, tomorrow, perhaps the next day into the the Brahma Vihara, the qualities, positive, loving. Um, joyful, uplifting, metta, kindness, qualities of the heart um, as, a, as a way of complementing the, the insight, letting go, uh, transcendent focus that we've been with. But we'll return to that transcendent focus and later again in the retreat and, and deepen it as we practice the chan, the non-dual so today we, we will be considering, and particularly for those going, um, going to encourage us to, to focus on this quality of metta, of loving kindness, um, following on from the talk last night, as we work with our process. Um, and also then, this, the later this afternoon, we'll have, uh, we'll offer, if you would like to participate, so completely voluntary, but we'll offer the great compassion Repentance and Renewal Ceremony, which is familiar for some of you. It's a ceremony focused around Kuan Yin, and it's new for others the first time you've been here at Dhammagiri. This practice is something we do often. Um, It's from the Mahayana Chinese School, and um, the practice really is is focused around the template of the teaching that I 
talked about last night of the salt crystal, of taking that which is bitter or hard to dissolve or digest, either in our personal lives, in our collective lives, global lives, taking that into and placing that um, into the deepest part of awareness symbolized by Kuan Yin and the great Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Um, and as we do that, a recognition of harm done to self and other, uh, personally and collectively through being under the sway as we are prone to be as human beings, the sway of uh, delusion, which gives rise to all sorts of um, distorted actions and their results. And an affirmation, the last part of the ceremony is an affirmation to align ourselves, to acknowledge harm done, uh, to offer that into the Kuan Yin heart, listening, present, profound heart, and to uh, do that not only for ourselves, but on behalf of our families and communities and countries and so on. Um, and trusting the deep, as it's said in the, in the uh, ceremony, the um, way and the response are mysteriously um, entwined. You know, we, we practice the way and there's a response. It's a, it's a, it's a responsive universe. So that we, we listen into that response and our contribution is our clear intention to align ourselves with the path of awakening. However, we understand and practice that. So the ceremony takes about an hour or so, and you're, if you would like to participate in that as a way, also particularly for you, those of you leaving, and for those of us, you know, Kitty Sarah and I have been through this week of profound shift and death and holding that process, and those of you staying to just take what you've been with, what's come up, our sankharas, familiar territories, places we struggle, then we take all of this into the ceremony and allow the process of the ceremony, the practice of it to work um, through and help us. It's like um, that salt crystal analogy when our cup is too small to digest these things then we call on and invo invoke um, the larger sphere of, of goodness, blessings, um, power of awakening from the saints and sages, Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, from the ancestors, from all the beings that uh, subtly um, and tangibly support uh, the best of our human potential. We call on all of that to help widen our cup, make it into a river, a river of Dharma, to help dissolve these bitter salt crystals. So it's a beautiful process, it's a very meditative ceremony, it involves uh, some bowing, which you can do as we do in the early morning as a full-length bow, prostration, or half, or in the chair, depending on your capacity. Um, it involves invoking, as I said, different Buddhas and Bodhisattvas that, uh, that represent different aspects of enlightened activity, like Earth Store Bodhisattva, one of my favorite Earth Store Bodhisattvas vows are to stay near the gates of hell, to be there present for those beings really caught in very profound um, and stuck places of, of violence and hatred and cold 
a distancing um, and uh, fear, you know, these very hellish states to be there to um, endlessly to help support living beings caught in those states and rescue them. Or Samantabhadra Bodhisattva, who's the Bodhisattva, is known for holding ten great vows to vow the, the essence of the vows to always um, ask that the Buddhas stay close to this realm and that they continually return the wheel of the Dharma. So to be present to help the, the wheel of the Dharma to turn through all the ages <coughs> so that the Dharma doesn't die away and get lost. Or um, Maitreya Bodhisattva is known as the future Buddha in, in Buddhist cosmology, hanging out in uh, one of the heavenly realms, <laughs> ready to when in the cosmology after so many Buddhas arise in this eon. So Indian cosmology is, is very vast. He talks about eons, not just this one world system, this one earth system, but vast kalpas and eons of time which are completely unimaginable for our human mind. But when the, the, the Dharma does end and there's a lull, then then there's the Sakyamuni's teaching dies away, no one can remember it. Um, and there's a fall um, and a loss of the Dharma, <coughs> then Maitreya Buddha reappears in this realm um, and he's a Buddha known for great love, great metta. That's why he's actually quite tubby. So he likes he likes he likes his food. <laughs> he's sort of he's working worked worked on transforming greed into love. <laughs> Whereas Sakyamuni Buddha is known more classically as the wisdom Buddha because he, he's like he was pretty tough and more aversive, <laughs> renouncing everything. With Maitreya, he, he loves everything, and he particularly loves food. <laughs> so Maitreya comes, and you know, so calling on that beautiful energy that is represented by Maitreya, endless love, compassion, letter, radiancy. Um, so all the different Buddhas, Buddhas of light, Buddhas of um, that make vast uh, bodhisattvas that make these vast vows. These are sort of like the archetypal rounds um, of potentiality that one connects with. And then on behalf, bowing on behalf of all the spirits, this is a, again comes from a worldview which isn't so familiar for us in our con- in small secular world worlds, but in 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 many many um, cultures until very, very recently, um, from all over the globe, uh, people's awareness was um, included a sort of more multi-dimensional relation, relation, field of relationship, not only with other human beings, but with the forces of nature, and within those forces, or even psychological forces, wasn't really psychological language, those kind of forces would, would be attributed to uh, subtle beings, spirits, um, connected with weather patterns, connected with the earth, connected with water, connected with the, the houses one lives in, and so a sense of placating or honouring or being in relationship. So that's part of the ceremony, honouring all the different unseen forces, spirit of the mountain, spirit of the earth, spirit of the rivers, of the grasses, of the trees, of 
um, you know, and on, on behalf of all beings that we practice this ceremony. So it's a very large and vast spread and reach uh, that we connect with. And the heart of the, the devotion is around Kuan Yin Bodhisattva. Nikhilisara talked about this morning Kuan Yin being a metaphor ultimately for this uh, deepest heart or awareness that is both wise and yet also re- resonant, responding appropriately through compassion, mercy, strength, truth, power, um, transforming poisons, distributing of healing. So it's a lovely, Kuan Yin is a lovely, again, a lovely force, energy, archetype. How we understand that um, as an ideal uh, that we uh, connect with and um, ultimately as Master Wa, whose teachings <coughs> we um, learned about Kuan Yin from, said, well, you know, for Westerners who are a bit skeptical by nature, it's okay if you don't believe in Kuan Yin. You can just uh, repeat your own name if you don't want to say the name of Kuan Yin, and then when you know when you are, who you are, you'll know who Kuan Yin is. <laughs> <laughs> so honouring that uh, mystery, which is uh, ultimately where everything returns. So we offer this at four o'clock. Um, and we also have a list of dedications, so you can write uh, at the end, we'll read dedications to various beings or family members or loved ones or situations that we feel could uh, be helped with healing, um, places on the globe, categories of beings, animals, whatever we write down here during the day, our list, and then we'll dedicate the ceremony at the end. To, to 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 everyone to but to particularly to those that uh, we would like to 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 remember so four go from about four to about five fifteen or so and then tonight rather than a Dharma talk we'll have a collective Dharma talk <laughs> we'll have our circle and for some it will be the closing circle for the retreat just to reflect on how we are how practices being uh, what we're with at this moment so try not to think about it during the day and <laughs> get worried it's just whatever is spontaneous what is present for us to share in our circle so Kili Sara will lead us uh, through the ceremony and, uh, it's in this the chanting book, you can look at it during the day if you wish. It also involves the vows of Kuan Yin, and repeating what they are um, as according to the sutra, and also uh, intentions or vows that we can make, or not, depending on how we uh, look on page 19. Yeah, it's page 19, should be. Or the third page of the ceremony.
So this, uh, the, the word vow is a, is a sort of an English translation of the word aditana. It's a paramita, which means de- determination, actually. It's a sort of in- intentionality. It's uh, connected with understanding how powerful intention is in the mind. Uh, from the mind all things arise, as the Buddha said. So aligning, at least in conscious moments, like a retreat when we're perhaps you know, able to connect with a deeper sense of intentionality beyond the, the complex web of attentions, intentions that inform our day, that we can um, contemplate some of these intentions and they might be in- intentions we'd like to affirm to ourselves, either in the group or just if it doesn't feel appropriate for you to do it in that way, just to, to think about what was, is your intentionality in the ceremony that uh, helps to support um, the flowering of all of our potential and possibility. The other last thing to say is that uh, towards the end of the ceremony, and there'll be some chanting and bowing, um, it's very meditative, Kirisai will lead it, but uh, towards the end that we'll have an opportunity to come up a few of us at a time and make an offering while we hold the Kuanin Mantra. So you might want to find something to offer to the shrine that helps to symbolize um, whatever we wish to symbolize <laughs> in our intentionality or our offering or um, our sense of devotion into the mystery life itself. So you can find a flower or stone or a piece of bark or something to bring to the ceremony. If you feel like you don't really want to participate but you'd like to just sit in and listen and follow, that's also fine. So it's really voluntary to really find your relationship to these practices in a way that you feel comfortable is appropriate for you. If it doesn't, some people, it doesn't really speak to them very much, this kind of practice, and you wish to do some walking or sit quietly in the upper shrine from four to five, that's fine too. So please find your own way, but we'll be doing this at four o'clock. Join us if you wish. The schedule's different. The schedule. Yeah, so we won't actually have a, unless you would want to, we won't have a on the schedule, a, a, a set sitting at 3.30. Three o'clock. A, huh? Three o'clock. Three o'clock. Oh, three o'clock. Yeah, we, we'll just meet at four. So you have your own space after lunch until four. Do you want to make a time if people have questions about the ceremony? We can take some afterwards. So yeah, I'll take some questions um, af- afterwards, but just before we, we get into that, I just want to talk about today's practice. For some of you, it's a more integrating day. Uh, for others, it's continuing um, with, uh, this is still part of our retreat.
So as you can um, probably see is through the, the progression of the retreat, there's a sort of graduated progression. One of the um, things that the Buddha encouraged when learning and teaching Dharma is to do it in a, a graduated way. Um, and he would teach in a graduated way, depending often on capacity of, of what could be heard. A beginning with a refuge, aligning with being here, uh, present as well as we can, and then gathering, the samadhi, samatha, inquiry, reflecting on phenomena, and then, and then last night beginning to talk about not only reflecting and seeing the phenomena of our experience, but also touching those obstructions in particular, and those very stuck places, the residue of our conditioning, wherever that's come from, and how profound that is to acknowledge the profundity of our conditioning and our humanity. You know, what makes us human is also the places that are, that are painful for us, or that um, have been wounding for us in various ways, or we haven't been met as clearly as um, would be an ideal and loved or felt belonging, um, or the places in us that feel that are uh, averse or caught up in unskillful states, all of these places rather than judging, condemning, um, and repressing. It's uh, learning to give air and light space so we can bring compassion. And uh, this, this, this first Brahma-vihara, this first quality of the heart that the, the Buddha made much of, in the same way as he said, if you just have a finger snap of seeing impermanence, is how powerful that is, or shifting your relationship to the flow of your life in more in accordance with reality. He also said, if you uh, had uh, you know, um, a, th- a thought of kindness, I think it was for as long as it takes to milk a, a cow or something? Yeah. Pull it one time. Pull, yeah. pull one, uh, I mean, that's not something I've done, but, <laughs> <laughs> but presumably at that time, people did pull on cows' udders to get the milk. One pull of the other. <laughs> It's a kind of slightly longer finger snap, maybe. (laughs) (coughs) One who practices a moment of loving kindness just for that length of time can call themselves a disciple of mine. So the bar is pretty manageable. It's not too high. (laughs) It's not like profound emptiness. (laughs) So this is a practice encouraged to make much of. It's a very profound practice. As Kitty Sar and I used to joke, is you know sometimes you think, oh, it's just for old ladies. <laughs> may I be well, and may you be well. And now I am an old lady, so. <laughs> <coughs> but uh, it's uh, it's a practice that was uh, a very very essential, actually, even for the support of samadhi. And one of the benefits of, of of loving kindness is it helps the mind concentrate more quickly. Because we're not pushing things away, we're not stuck in aversion and resistance. 
and many, many other benefits that uh, are talked about in the cultivation of this loving-kindness. And as you know, as, as you'll be familiar with this practice, that it's uh, very much encouraged that we begin with ourselves. All the selves that we've been with, <laughs> the parade of selves, with our body, the current and flow of our karma, how we experience our life and our struggles to today as we practice to, to hold that more with this, this uh, non-aversion, non-contention or in its most subtle meaning in Sanskrit, maichi means to soften, to keep the heart soft, to soften in relationship to our experience rather than move into that constriction. So, and for those, and then extending that out or allowing what we've been with, you know, struggles, or those that we struggle with, or those that we live with, loved ones, those that aren't so, um, you know, don't really activate us in one way or another, people that we have familiarity with, and those that are very activating for us, difficult people, family members. <laughs> you know, being able to, to receive them, uh, as I just used to teach, if you can't generate loving kindness, or doesn't feel authentic, then at the, at the most subtle and profound level is to allow them to be as they are not to keep sort of like if only and why aren't they <coughs> so metta is in a way at its most profound level is wisdom because it's a profound acceptance of everything in this moment including what we usually struggle with or we don't want in particular so for those of you that will be sort of last day and you're thinking about you know, obviously, what you're going into. You know, when when the when, you know to try and uh, welcome your life rather than just oh my god, I'm going to hang on to the last moment of peace and calm as it slips away, <coughs> <laughs> and then sort of resist, or maybe you're like dying to get out. <laughs> uh, but to actually that whatever that. As that energy starts to move of the awareness of shifting and for all of the group staying and feeling that shifts in the field to just rather make a problem or to judge or how it should be it's like this, you know, we used to practice every day in the monastery my teacher used to say, this is how it is it's like this and then you go, well it shouldn't be <laughs> <laughs> So the meta is it's like this, it's going to be a time of transition, stuff is happening. And underneath it all is the listening, is the presence, whether we're staying, whether we're going. And in listening and the presence, we meet, distinctions dissolve. And then more proactively, as we consider maybe those that we've 
struggles that we've had, you know, become aware of in the retreats, to hold in our mind's eye, may I be well, may others be well. And not just that to be a redundant clinical, technical phrase, but to infuse that phrase or a phrase that you might find, may there be freedom from harm, may myself and others be protected. To infuse that with heart, with warmth, with welcoming, uh, with non-aversion. And if aversion arises, to have that as part of the matter. Sometimes if there is a, a very conflicted situational relationship and we take our mind there, it just starts to activate us. So then rather take that energy rather than the person or the situation. Take the energy that you feel that's stuck between you or that you experience when you put your mind there and bring metta to that energy, holding that, surrounding it with uh, non-aversion, kindness, softening, breathing there, awareness there, irrigating that with this intentionality of, 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 of love. So we can uh, practice some of this today. It's a profound practice and it, sometimes it does really help shift things in a way that just hacking away with our insight doesn't. There's a, a friend of ours, he's also passed over now, he was a monk with us, American guy, in the early years of our monastic training his name was Anando, and um, his Buddhist name. He was a. You can write about him in the book. He was a tremendous practitioner, real, real warrior. Because he was before that, he was a he was a marine, GI, and had been sent off to. Uh, oh, he actually volunteered to go to Vietnam. And it was a tough street kid. You know, this, he wasn't a. He wasn't a sort of a floaty pink cloud kind of guy, he was a real tough guy, and he took all of that marine energy into being a Buddhist monk, a very good one, very disciplined, tough taskmaster and abbot. But then he realized somewhere into the practice, he really realized that he really needed this to, to practice this metta, this loving kindness. And he would start trying to teach it in the monastery at the time when, when basically people were like, oh, that's, you know, like silly stuff. <laughs> uh, but, it was, it was, but he really, uh, really uh, felt very committed to it and start teaching retreats and practicing himself. And then uh, uh, one day a situation happened. He had, there was a, a monk that he, he really, uh, they really had an altercation, ongoing altercation between themselves for a long time. And one day, uh, Nando, um, they got into an argument about something, and Nando sort of said to his monk, okay, out on the front lawn and we're sorted out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so when the sort of the whole Buddhist monk thing fell apart, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the marine sort of like, okay, we're going to go and just do this guy in. So they were, they were out there, you know, really like full, you know, and and the Nanda talked about how his, his he went in his hand went into a fist, you know. And then for some reason 
fortunately he remembered, you know, maybe looked down saw his road. <laughs> <laughs> and as he brought his hand back, he just then changed it into a, this gesture, bringing our palms together in the front of his hearts like this. And instead he just bowed to this guy. And just in, a, in this act of, of metta. And it just, uh, just completely shifted the dynamic for some time, not forever. But So this is another way that uh, when we do the bowing, it's uh, the metta is like just bowing into the obstruction rather than resisting it. Bowing through the complex relational field that gets where we get upset. Breathing there, bowing there patience there, love there. This is the balancing practice uh, in relationship to the insight and the wisdom. So you haven't gone yet. <laughs> we have a day still to, to practice this contemplation if it's helpful, allowing it to be a day uh, of integrating what we've been doing so far and then taking this as a support for our deepening into being here now with the skills that we can to meet what is unfolding within this heart, this body and this mind. <laughs>